0: of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing.
1: And I'm tired, Corwin Heller
0: Corwin coming at us from the hotel once again as his work-life balance continues to not exist.
1: You mean my work balance? Uh, yep. Yeah. No yeah. life involved, we, there we go. What
0: are we but products of a capitalist society just forcing us into different types of labor that we truly despise?
1: But, cool. My depression wasn't bad enough. Thanks for that, Josh. Oh.
0: I am the Gonna existential dread March,
1: so, worming okay. around
0: your ear holes.
1: Touche. Touche.
0: Anyway, uh, there's a lot of we're finally done with NFL talk for a bit because the, we'd finally finished our draft recap stuff. Um, so it is time to pivot over towards MLB. And uh, boy, howdy, has MLB provideth within just the past few days. Um, so at the beginning of last episode, we did make mention of the Albert Pujols move and, and that whole business. So we're going to, I think we touched on every aspect of it that we reasonably could. So instead let's, uh, let's talk about one of Albert Pujols' old managers, Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa, who was alive at the same time Babe Ruth was alive and he is still managing baseball games.
1: I like that stat. There's a lot of stats that we have that or hit or miss. I don't like that one whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something kind of wrong about it, huh? Yeah. So for anybody who's listened to the show for, um, I don't know, I guess since October of last year, um, which is about when the Tony La Russa hiring occurred, you'll know that we hate this hiring. Corwin <laughs> and I loathe uh, Tony La Russa yeah. And the fact he got hired by the White Sox.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and there and was uh, there was very few redeemable qualities about the hiring, and uh, we had nothing
0: positive to say. Six
1: months corporate. later, um, I don't know if it was six months ago, but so. a period of time. Um, have you found any any positives?
0: Not only besides have- the memes. Not The memes aren't even worth it, because that, that's the thing. The, 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 the difference between how much life is worse with Tony La Russa at the helm of the White Sox to how much fun the memes are is still a negative gap. Um, and I will say, and I, I, I made mention of this on, on, on Twitter today, um, the problems that we as a collective MLB-watching group and the White Sox, as an organization, or as a team anyway, are having, are the exact problems fucking everybody said they would have if they actually hired this fucking jamoke Everyone said, you're bringing old baseball man prime. Like, the literally, I can't imagine an older baseball man who is still within his faculties to, I guess, technically manage a game Actually, manage a game outside of Tony Larusa. He's got to be the oldest, cognizant baseball person in in any given room. How old? Huh? Ron
1: Washington, Ron manager Washington? of the Astros. No.
0: Oh no, My manager of the Astros is um, Dusty, uh, Baker. Uh, Dusty Baker. Dusty Ron- Baker. Who the fuck is Ron Washington? Ron Washington, I believe, was the first or the third base coach of the Braves. What?
1: Oh, my God. You're right. Ron Washington. Yes. Oh, man. That is just... I feel so racist now. Fuck me.
0: I mean, I'm impressed you knew who he was, but, yeah, Ron Washington, 69 years old. Dusty Baker, 71 years old. Tony La Russa, 76. This man was born during World War II and is still involved in baseball. And, and again, Corin and I said... Everybody with half a fucking brain said at the time of this hiring, you are bringing in the oldest, whitest man that you could possibly fill this position with and putting him in one of the youngest, most dynamic and boldest personality wise offenses or teams in general in all of baseball, something that is good and should continue and should be um Paid more mind to put more on the forefront of the game, all that shit, and you are Jerry Reinsdorf just said, "Eh, fuck it, I'm gonna hire fresh off of his DUI, which again feels like insanity." Tony Larusa.
1: Tony Larusa, bitch. Don't
0: I am a Hall me. of Fame baseball person. That is a real quote from Tony Larusa. While he was trying to avoid being arrested for a DUI, I am a Hall of Fame baseball person. Oh. So anyway, big angry lead up to what actually happened, and that is, involves the um, rookie, the 28-year-old rookie, your mean Mercedes, um, who is you know made his debut this season. Now the White Sox found themselves. What's up, Corwin? Oh, I was.
1: uh, uh, No, uh, I have no explanation, (laughs) and was not prepared for that question.
0: (laughs) Never mind. Um, So the White Sox were playing uh, the Minnesota Twins, who have had a awful beginning to their season. Um, They are one of the last place teams in all of the American League. It has been a rough going for Minnesota which I don't think anybody saw coming, at least not to this degree. And uh, the White Sox were giving them the business. It was uh, 15 to four in the top of the ninth. And uh, Jermaine Mercedes was up to bat and found himself in a 3-0 count being pitched to by La Tortuga himself, Williams Astadillo. Now, in my mind, and I would like to hear from you, Corwin. The second a position player, Asadio being a backup catcher, third baseman, first baseman, and I think I saw him at shortstop once this season. Um, the second a position player comes in to pitch, who gives a shit?
1: Unless the it's the sixteenth, unless it's like the sixteenth inning of like a playoff game, nobody cares.
0: I mean, even then I don't I, I don't I don't give a shit. Like
1: I, it's if it's the postseason, there's the full attempt of like you need to win this game.
0: Oh, right, right, yeah.
1: But if you're down thirteen runs, it was thirteen, something like that. It doesn't 11. Matter. it's yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> you goofy over. number. Yeah. It's over. And we can all accept there's hundred and sixty two games. It's not like, you know, this is like football or something where there's so few games that every single week has a major impact in the final standings or playoff implications. You win 40 games you lose 40 games. It's what you do with the other 60 that makes a difference with the season. You can't win them all. You're never going to win them all. It's just how it goes. You have to be able to accept that some games are just lost causes and you need to you know, keep your pitchers fresh for the other 161. And it's not worth straining them out for a game you know you're not going to win. That's statistically impossible, to, not statistically impossible, statistically improbable to an utmost degree. I, I don't get why people care, why Tony La Russa and the old guard care so much.
0: Well, And we're going to get our way to there because the first phases of it is what you just said, which is if if Rocco Baldelli, who is the manager of the Twins, is going to sit there and say, we're not fucking winning this game. I'm not going to put in a reliever, an actual reliever that I could use tomorrow in a game that matters. No, we're down by 11 runs. I don't want to burn my guys to do this. Let's throw Williams out there to throw 45-mile-an-hour Ephases until eventually the game ends. And if you're willing to make that jump, which is this has stopped mattering to me to the point where my strategy is now going to be let's just fucking end it, why on earth would you give a shit what the other team is doing? And so in comes and Mercedes, who finds himself in the ultimate hitter's count, 3-0, and he gets the first strike of the at-bat, and knocks it like 400 some odd feet. And again, why should Rocco Baldelli care? You put in a catcher slash third baseman slash first baseman to pitch. Do you think he was going to get an immaculate inning? And also, does it matter to you if you lose by 12 runs or 11? Does Williams Astadio's e-r-a affect you personally in some type of way because i'll tell you what when it's arbitration time or time to sign that next contract i don't think williams Astadio's e-r-a is going to hit the discussion table i just don't think it's going to be there i think they'll talk about his hitting and i think when Yermin mercedes goes to his arbitration meetings eventually or his next contract discussions that home run will show up there and will have some weight at least as a Broader picture about his performance and how to best make additional money. But Williams asked that fucking ERA sure as shit ain't going to be part of this discussion. You are muted, my friend.
1: <laughs> Concerned about what Baldelli has to say? He is, Rocco Baldelli is younger than Tony the Russo's kids.
0: Oh my God, is that That's, true? Yeah. That would make sense, actually.
1: By like over a decade. It's not wow. like, it's one of those things that like, when you put into perspective like that, like get the fuck over yourself. Come on.
0: I know. And so that brings us to the Tony La Russa part of it, where, because so far mm-hmm. on the field, the twins broadcast bitched about it. Fuck those people. Who cares? And the game continued as you know it was the bottom of the, the top of the ninth. Throughout, like the game was ending. Um, Tony La Russa in his press conference afterwards disparaged and Mercedes to the press, mm-hmm. and was like, "That's that's wrong. He's going to face consequences in the family because I guess now we're living in The Godfather, which came out when um Tony La Russa was in his late twenties for how fucking old Tony LaRusa is. Godfather part one came out in 72. Uh, Tony La Russa would have been 28 older than you and I. Um, <laughs> and told a story about how, when he saw it was a three Oh count, he said he saw Yermin starting to dig in. Like he really wanted to hit, which uh, he's a batter. They want to hit stuff. And Ran up the steps shouting, take, 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 don't swing like some fucking lunatic, which there's no video of and no one else has said that has and happened. also
1: no fucking way it happens. Yeah, I it, refuse to accept anything close.
0: Only in an Aaron Sorkin play would that happen.
1: <laughs> it Like, it's just so cliche, like old granddad's losing his fucking mind and just starts making up stories and lying just because he... He doesn't remember reality.
0: But, and it it also, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Sure. (laughs) Because this is so fucking stupid. Sure. Would Tony La Russa, do you think anyway, have cared if Jeremy Mercedes hit this home run in a 3-2 count?
1: No. You
0: don't think he would have cared? Not at all. Okay. Do you think Tony La Russa would be more upset with Yarmin Mercedes striking out after being up 3-0 in the count to a catcher um, or hitting this home run that he'd hit.
1: He would have preferred that. The strikeout. I also realized I said he absolutely would be okay with him hitting the home run on a 3-2 count. He would have been pissed off is what I'm, what I was trying to say. Any, any home run that would have been hit when they were up that much would have pissed off Tony LaRusso.
0: I, I, I think you're right. And I think it's this, it's this weird idea of you have to be nice to the guy you're fucking. And I don't get that. You are here to run up the score. Everyone, oh. everyone that steps on any playing field of any kind is there to run up the score.
1: If this is an office or like inner office softball game and you're up 14 runs, and a 63-year-old secretary is up to bat or is like pitching, it's her turn to pitch, and like a 23-year-old former college baseball player goes up and just smashes one out of the park, you could say, yeah, it's a dick move. Martha didn't deserve anything like that. (laughs) But when it's two professional baseball teams playing with serious implications in a league where the team's fuck-over players ad nauseum. And statistics is really the only major way you can prove yourself nominally and monetarily when it comes down to it, especially as a 28-year-old rookie who's never played in the majors for any extensive period before this year. Yeah, you rack up every stat you can get because guess what? Life is short. Injuries happen. Slumps happen. You just earned yourself a home run. That stays on the stat sheet. And you know what? I hate to say it. I could totally see Tony Rusa bring this up when Jermaine Mercedes like, hey, you need to pay me X number of dollars. I hit like 32 home runs last year. I actually should have only hit 31 because you hit that one on the 3-0 count. So I'm not going to count that towards your statistics. It's just it. logic is out the door. Reason and fairness out the door. It's just,
0: hmm,
1: that's not the way it's supposed to
0: be played. Hmm. And this idea that it's supposed to be played like how I played it and I played it the way that I got told to play it or I made it up, uh, it's kind of hazy, but do what I fucking told you to do. Sure. I'm Tony fucking LaRusso. In
1: 1950, when Tony LaRusso learned to play baseball, yeah, there were strict guidelines about respect and how you're supposed to treat other people. Like your wife was supposed to be making a sandwich for you at home when you were done with the game and black people weren't allowed to sit on the same bus as you, but Hey, you show sure respect to those position players throwing just fucking softballs at you. Like, fuck. Well, off and that's that's Russo. part
0: of what it feels like. It feels very childish. It feels like you would make like kind of like what you're saying about the interoffice thing, but just put it, push that into, into like a, a little league game it feels like a, Hey, you know, like Timmy's had a rough outing. We're all eight, you know, like you don't give your biggest swings. You guys did fine. Like, let's just try to get the game out there. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's what, that's what this feels like. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Again, no one is a joke. And you know what? Let's. So the saga then continues. Cause we, I harped on this for a while. I'm sorry. Um, and the next part of it being that the next day, uh, the um, twins. Jesus Christ! I don't know why I wanted to say Padres just then because that would be very wrong. But anyway, right. uh, the next day, uh, uh, the twins sent out one of their relievers whose name presently escapes me, and I'm sorry did you haven't.
1: No, that's not a player that plays for the Twins. Never mind.
0: Yeah. Um and throws at Yearman Mercedes, gets tossed from the game, str- threw behind him uh, once, and then I try to hit him again. And I forget if he actually did end up hitting him. I think he did. Uh gets tossed from the game. Baldelli goes out there who's like, You you tossed him, you didn't give us warnings. Like, you're gonna warn us after you toss him. That's not how it works, it was very logistical and semantic-y and stupid. And Yeah, then the game continued. And Tony DeRusso was asked about it after the game. And he said, I have no issue with what the Twins did. He threw his own player completely under the bus and said that him getting thrown at was perfectly acceptable. Because in his mind, and this is how arbitrary these unwritten rules are, he said something to the effect of they threw at his legs that's all okay. If he threw it at the head, we'd have a problem. Legs, fuck them legs. That is such stupid bullshit. And I, I...
1: it's just like this attitude towards your players. Like, I don't know how you could play in that clubhouse and respect Tony LaRusso, be it everything that he's done in his life leading up to this point outside of baseball even to some extent in baseball. I don't know how you could really be excited for him coming in at this point in his career and everything we've seen over the season where he just does not stay up to date on the rules of baseball. Like we saw when he decided to have Liam Hendricks trot out there as this, uh, the runner in this extra innings, when he had every right to send Jose Abreu out there to this, where he's throwing his own players under the bus two days in a row, two press conferences in a row, and is admitting that, hey, I'm okay with my guys getting hit and getting hurt because he decided to perform at a high level in the sport he gets paid to play at a high level at. And it's so past where we are in baseball, where none of these guys in the clubhouse res- like are on the same page about that rule as Tony LaRusso. nobody agrees, excuse me, agrees with that. I don't know how you could go in and listen to him just drone on and on and on and just, hey, respect what he has to say because,
0: I I know. And um, before moving to a different aspect of this, because um, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Uh, the other thing, though, that he said that just – nails on chalkboard drove me insane and also uh is massively fucking stupid is he was asked about what he would have preferred i mean mercedes to do and he there's something to that effect and he answered with something to the effect of um i would send pitchers out there to hit if they put position players in to pitch um and just tell the position players to just kind of like lightly tap at the ball to get ground out so we can just end the game and first off that's an insane thing to do because you're now asking your relievers to come into the game as batters and taking your starters out of the game, which they also still have to play defense, by the way. So mm-hmm. have fun putting a bunch of relievers in the field to field. That yeah. whole sentence was that's how, that's how you win baseball games. That's how you you should use your players and let them imagine. Imagine fucking um, Liam Hendricks sitting at shortstop because he. Pinch hit for Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks has to deal with a 105 mile an hour fucking line drive neck height. Like, dude's gonna die. It's really hard playing infield defense. Could but you... also, you were the manager. If you wanted to do that, you could have done that in the game we're fucking talking about. It it it's he's armchair managing when he's actually the manager. <laughs> He's like,
1: he's trying to throw these threats out there, like, "Oh, you keep acting like that, I'll show you your worth, who you're really messing with." And it's like, "Okay, you you haven't done it. Fuck off, Tony Larusa. Like, what 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 are you gonna do? I don't care. Trade me to a team that actually I would want to play for because he's not, you know, the manager's not a fucking prick like you are. Oh well. Oh no." Uh... It's one of those things where obviously they don't want to get traded from, you know, a contending team, a team like the White Sox up and coming. It's just, man, I, I could imagine Tony La Russa getting fired and every one of those players just a silent, like, fish bump, just like, hell yeah.
0: And, you know, we're, we're seeing players, like, actively liking posts on, on Twitter and Instagram that are shit-talking Tony La Russa, and, you know, we're seeing the players – comment on each other's posts saying, you know, don't listen to any of that, you know, like outside noise or, whatever, you know, thinly veiled remarks aimed at Larusa, Um and, and that's really, you know, the ass part of it, which, you know, like we, we can sit here and complain as we've been doing for the past half an hour or so about how ludicrously stupid this man is in general. Uh, but there's also impacts, you know, There is such a difference between being told to express yourself, be who you are, um, play the game as hard as you can. All like the fact that German Mercedes went out there and swung for the fences should be something that's rewarded because Mm -hmm. he didn't have to try hard in garbage time. He is out there to have fun. He wants to do his job the best he can do at all times, and he wants to be Good. Those are all things that should be actively encouraged, especially on a team that has so much recognizable minority talent as the White Sox. And instead, they are being bogged down by the oldest, whitest man in all of America that apparently still manages ball, who is actively telling them stop doing everything you're doing. That is being reflected upon positively everywhere else in MLB, or at least in a lot of other areas of MLB. And instead we're going to have you rigidly conform to what I want. And I started my baseball career back when some, I think like the Red Sox had just integrated. So like, it's just it's it's multi-dimensionally fucked up
1: Mm -hmm. do you think rob manfred kind of would come out and be like hey tony quit fucking around like this you prick you're making things worse for all of baseball you're bringing a lot of bad press to mlb or do you think rob manfred's like hey tony nice job i agree with that way to go kid
0: He'd say, Hey, Tony, nice job. I I agree with that. Way to go kid. Because not not because Rob Manfred has any true morals at all, but because Tony La is there because Jerry Reinsdorf likes him. Jerry Reinsdorf is an owner and Rob Manfred is the bottom bitch for the owners. That's really all there is to it. If, if Jerry Reinsdorf went to Rob Manfred and was like, I don't want Tony La around anymore. Um, I need you to I, – I, obviously, this doesn't how it works because it's organizationally not structured this way, but he was like, I need you to do something to, like, pressure him out of baseball or some skeevy shit. Then Rob Mayfrey would be like, we don't agree with Tony La Russa. We're going to uh, look into his behavior. You know, That's not the stance of today's MLB. We think Tony La Russa needs to – they issue some type of sp- – Statements or shit talk him in some sly way, tell John Heyman to tweet mean things about him. Um, since I think that's all John Heyman has going for him. Um, but it, it he's not as long as Jerry Reinsdorf likes Tony La Russa, Rob Manfred will like Tony La Russa. That, that, that's his job. His job is to kowtow to you know the head honchos.
1: What do you think it's like at Thanksgiving at the La Russa household? Racist. <laughs> I needed that today. Thank you.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, just just a lot of very untoward things said over unseasoned turkey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God damn. Is there uh, any way they make homemade cranberry sauce? or it's just like slide it right even, out of the like, can. Yeah, like they sit like it's still in can shape when they serve it on the table,
0: because that's how we did it when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, yeah. They just invented the can. This is space age technology.
0: <laughs> we didn't have salt when I was a kid. What were we rich? Oh God, Tony Larusa, you make my bones hurt. Oh man. Well, let's turn into um, I don't know. Let's call it more confusing in terms of how I, at least I emotionally feel about it news. And that is that Spencer Turnbull threw a no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners um, last night, which, as we're recording this, it is um, March 19th, so we did this on March 18th. Um, and this is the second time the Mariners have been no-hit as the batting team. Um, it's the fifth no-hitter of the season. Um, and it's it, it's, it is... Yet yeah, we are not very far into this young season. We are not two months into the year yet. And it's not just that this is the fifth actual no-hitter of the season. It's several close-to-no-hitters that have gotten spoiled very late in the game. We've had near two perfect games, too, of uh, that ended up becoming two of these five no-hitters. It's been rough. In addition to that, after this game, the Seattle Mariners' batting average which, you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons to not use batting average, but we're using this as a showing stat, not so much as a telling stat. Uh, Dropped below 200 as an organization down to 199. So there's obviously a lot of good here. You got to feel good for the Detroit Tigers who have been a shit show for the past several years. And this is a really good thing for that fan base. Got to feel good for Spencer Turnbull because, you know, it's always nice to see players achieve something that gets their name in a record book for a positive reason. Um, But at the same time, it's yet another step towards, Oh God, where are we going? Um, So what, what make you of this, uh, of this no hitter?
1: Uh, I mean, I've, I've owned Spencer Turnbull and fantasy um for a couple of years and i should say that uh, he's not a great pitcher he has some 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 moments and, and reading up on him you know he has some potential but by all means he's not a very good pitcher uh, wade miley not a very good pitcher hector rodon not a very great carlos rodon. carlos rodon hector plays for the astros something like that yes um, I'm all over the place with names, but whatever. Carlos Rodan, not a historically great pitcher. I really think we are just going to have to look at all of the no-hitters that we're going to have this season, all like 15, 20 of them, and just say uh, major asterisks. And it's, it's clear that it's not the pitchers. It's, it's a lot to do with the fact that the ball across MLB is just very different this year and is very much favoring pitchers whether it be spin rate be that they're be able to throw these balls at it it's clearly not the same ball we've been using it's clearly not the same fair playing field that you know pitchers and hitters have kind of pushed back and forth it's it's very clearly favoring the pitchers this year and i don't think we're going to be able to consider these all that special this year i really don't
0: do you think we see a double digit number of no hitters which i know yeah. is a wild oh, yeah. sentence the the yeah. the um most in a season i believe was 7 mm-hmm. um so this would be blowing that out of the water really um to get yeah. to 10 but here yeah. we are standing a little more than halfway through may and we We're- have five
1: like, what, 43 games, 45 games into the season?
0: Mariners a, a are 43 third of, games.
1: We're a third of the way into the season, or a quarter. That's math. A quarter of the way into the season, and we're at five. There's a chance we hit 20.
0: No. I mathematically,
1: mean, there's Mathematically, there's a chance that yes. we hit 20.
0: If this pace continued, yes. But, like, I, uh, I, I can't imagine it, so I'm laughing at it
1: what would happen to baseball if we had 20 no hitters in a season has there been um, 20 like perfect games in the history of baseball probably, probably yeah oh, it's it's awful it's just like I love that people can throw no hitters and we can share these moments it's just gonna like it's at that point where it's like it doesn't mean, anywhere close to as much anymore and it's the integrity of baseball i get that there's a lot of old school rules and unspoken rules and and oh integrity of baseball you have to hold up the the spirit of the sport we all talk shit all the time but when it's this laughable and just this statistically relevant it's it's serious concern to have
0: I I would worry about it if the pace continues. If this most recent one ended up being the last one for the season, then we'd look back at a lot of these conversations and go, all right, you know, that was a lot of doom and gloom for what ended up being nothing, which is fair. You know, it's like, it's the same thing that goes along with pretty much any other part of a starter's season's worth of starts. You know, a Mm -hmm. starter might end up going having like a seven game stretch where they allow like one run for the whole stretch and then like have two back-to-back starts where they get blown the fuck up only end up pitching three innings allow like eight runs a game like wildness. And if you look at their season by the end of it, it'll look like a normal fucking season, you know, like it'll, it'll look like, you know, they got like a two five ERA cause he's our ace and he was phenomenal that season. Um But it won't be like he had like a zero six, seven ERA like it, you know it. It'll it'll all average out into being better than normal, but not outrageous. It'll just go. Oh, that was a weird clump of no hitters we had in the first two months. Mm-hmm. But if it keeps going, that's the part that's hard. Now, in 2017, there was an appreciable change in the baseball halfway through the season that was recognized by. Basically everybody, mm-hmm. as home run rates skyrocketed, and it ended up creating a whole new run environment. And a lot of people attributed to, to launch angle and you know exit velocity stuff that already existed, but um, they had n- new names for. It, so clearly that must be the reason. And point being, MLB knowingly or unknowingly changed the ball halfway through the year. Or, whatever, knowingly
1: changed the ball.
0: I, 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 because they claimed they did. So, I'm not gonna, I, I know <laughs> you know, but you know, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> um, and for whatever reason they did it, who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. The point is that they did it and they can do it. And you'd have to wonder if, come the all star break, we see a similar hmm. about face because, and we talked about. This type of change, um, a couple of weeks ago, but just for a year to year perspective on it, I'm only going back uh, three or I guess two seasons, um, since I don't feel like doing all the way back to 2015 again. Barrel ball percent in 2019, league wide 7.3 percent in 2020, it was 7.6 percent, so that is a 0.3 percentage point increase, and then in 2021, current. Hello today, eight point three percent. That is quite a quite an increase. It is nearly a ten percent increase, and zero point seven percentage points. Wow! Well,
1: like I really don't know how you could really argue that this isn't directly directly sprouted from changes in the ball. Like, yes, there are year to year, you know, ebbs and flows of, of, you know, pitchers have good years. Hitters can have good years historically. Yes, we've seen pitchers throwing harder and harder and harder over the past couple of years and spin rates going up year after year after year. But these jumps, these crazy jumps that we're seeing this year, how can you not directly take that from the ball?
0: And, and it, it keeps going. Let's do, let's do the next one. And that is uh, hard hit percent, 2019, 36.4. Uh, 2020, 37.6. All right. So we went up a whole uh, 1.2 points, pretty substantial. And then in 2021, this year, 39.4% hard hit percent. That's, that's 1.8 percentage points. It, it, it's, it's, again, it's a rather significant leap. So we're still we're seeing batters really actually getting when they make contact, they are making very good contact. But unlike the run environment from 2017 to 2020, the hits aren't there. The home runs aren't there. And like Corwin said, it's like, you know, you see um, what different run environments look like in a given stadium in a given year. And you look at it and you go, it's not like they changed the fucking walls. You know what I mean? Like how did the run environment change? And it's just like, like again, it's like Corwin said, the pitching in Yankee Stadium was better. The defensive alignment in Boston was worse this season. The um, the temperature in Dodger Stadium affected how the ball tra- – Like there, there, there are reasons to be found for why the run environment may have changed year over year. Mm -hmm. Point being, the physical structures that contain the run environment, which is the stadiums, don't alter much. So the rest of those attributions come from somewhere else. And this is not that, though. This is something about a physical aspect of the game that has been changed. The walls have moved.
1: And it's, you know, the players are saying it. And you have to trust the players when they say it. You have to take their word for gospel when. You have these guys that have thrown. Can you stop trying to lock your car, please? Sorry. (laughs) It's just like, it's it's, these guys have been throwing baseballs every day, dozens of times a day, you know, every chance they can get. Every time they go out on the mound and start a game, they're throwing a hundred pitches and they've been doing it for decades. You don't think they know what a baseball feels like? And when you change it, when you throw a couple thousand pitches over the course of a season and then show up next year and oh this is this is completely different than what I threw several thousand times last year. What the hell? Like you have to take their word for gospel because they're the ones they're the primary source. They're there. They know it they're feeling it they're holding it they're throwing it they're seeing the difference when they throw it even though it should by all means be the exact same as when they threw it the year prior oh god MLB you make it so hard to love you
0: uh, I I'd say MLB doesn't deserve any love and really it's the sport of baseball and its participants that are, are the lovable object there but Quite yeah no I, I also know that's what you mean um Yeah, and you know, I, I Clayton Kershaw spoke about it um last week, I think maybe, where he talked about what he felt the differences were. He he, he said on a live broadcast of, of a Dodgers game that he felt like the stitches were higher, or some other minor changes. And it Corbin's right again. It's it you hold an object every fucking day, where your goal mentally is to have a perfect understanding of the feel of it in your hand, because that directly affects the outcome, the result of when you hurl this motherfucker 95 miles an hour, if you make an adjustment to it, it will be recognized. So yeah, it's foolhardy to think that you can make changes and not have it be noticed. But again, and we talk about this part of it too. I don't understand why the leniency would be towards the pitching side of it. I, I, if you're gonna make errors or over corrections, make them in the batter's favor until you hit too many runs. And not too many home runs. Like too much too come crying to me when the league batting average is like two eighty-five. Then I'll say, All right, maybe there's too much hitting. Maybe, maybe. The Mariners are batting as a team, 199. And again, I understand that batting average is not the end. It's not even the beginning of most conversations. I'm using it here because if you're trying to bring fans into a ballpark and the other team literally isn't fucking hitting the ball, it's going to be an issue.
1: I just cannot imagine an entire professional baseball team six weeks Forty-something games into a season, collectively batting below the Mendoza line, like the thing we all joke about being like the worst thing you can do as a hitter, like the worst situation to be in, just like the laughable "you suck" kind of moment for an entire team.
0: For an entire team, I, I mean the the league batting average today is two thirty six. Um, The whole batting line of the league today is 236, 311, 394. That's a 706 OPS, which means that your standard OPS plus for the league is 97. The league is batting below league average. Last year, batting line of 245. So that's already almost 10 entire points of batting average higher. 322, the same difference in on base percentage as in batting average, which would tell you that, all of that on-base percentage is coming from hitting, not the walks and other means of, of reaching base. And then uh, the slugging in 2020 was uh, 418 as compared to 394 today. It's 24 points of additional slugging. Um, so the OPS plus um, of your average MLB team last year was, shock and surprise, 100 And while those might sound like relatively small differences, they're spread across 30 teams that are batting nine guys each. That's 270 batters at minimum each game, or each, you know, in for the total of MLB averaging out their stats. So to get an appreciably lower number takes a really big sea of change for that to register. It's not some teams mildly underperforming because that won't be captured. If one team mildly underperforms, that's nine guys. It's not going to get noticed as much unless it is horrible in a sea of that many players, but the, but you get like six, seven teams, 10 teams, you get a whole fucking team batting below 200. It's going to get picked up in those stats.
1: Oh, baseball, why do you do this? Why can't you just let us watch baseball? Why can't you just let it be? Why do you have to tinker like a kid with a science kit, just like burning ants with a, a magnifying glass?
0: And it's it's not even that, like we're saying, don't make changes. It's like, just pick better changes, man. God, just pick better mm. things to fuck with. Um. So let's get into a fun part of things that's going on. Well, kind of a a downer. Uh, Mike Trout is hurt. He's likely to be out six to eight weeks, six to eight, not 68, six to eight. Um, Awful. Which is awful. On the bright side for the Angels, though, Shohai Otani has been phenomenal, phenomenal. And this will, as much as it, has kind of been the show Hayatani show because of the new nature of
1: what he does. Fuck. I fucked up his name immediately. So that's, that's just, just, we need to move on. We need to just,
0: uh, this is an even more or an even larger showcase or spotlight for him since the main star of the team, is gone. The way that, you know, to make a Yankees comparison, Giancarlo Stanton gets a little bit more limelight when Aaron Judge is out and vice versa. Uh, and I can't help but think that while obviously having Mike Trout be gone is bad for the Angels and baseball in general, a little bit extra attention, which Otani has been receiving this season anyway because of his phenomenal play isn't necessarily a bad thing. Obviously not a trade-off you'd want to make, but to get more eyes on Otani, more discussion about what he's doing is pretty cool. Like uh, JJ Watt tweeted about Otani the other day and it got like 40,000 likes and it was like all over. And then he retweeted himself after Otani had another home run. And that got a bunch, like, I never, I don't follow JJ Watt. I never see tweets from JJ Watt. Obviously I saw them because they're liked by baseball people. And I follow a lot of baseball people, but like, that's what we need. We need other stars to be like, look at that fucking guy. That's some cool shit. And man, Otani is providing that in fucking spades, man.
1: It's amazing how much he's just taken over baseball. And by all means, when you look at what his talent brings to the table and what he's capable of doing on the field, it's clear why he's taking it over. Um I'm just so happy that he's finally able to stay healthy, put it all together and and do both at such a high level. I mean, he's leading all of baseball in home runs or at least the AL.
0: Yeah, all all baseball.
1: He's got a sub 3 ERA. Are you kidding? The guy's a goddamn gem. He's a superstar. He's an MVP almost lock at this point. Like if he can maintain within 10-15% of what he's doing now I mean, obviously, if he has a sub three ERA and leads MLB and homers. Yeah, if you lead MLB and homers, you're almost, you know, chalked up to win MVP. But if he can be top five and be a a top 10, top 15 starting pitcher MVP, it's it's crazy.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you about, because when Shoai Otani came up or I guess came over because he didn't really come up um he won rookie of the year which we all know and he won rookie of the year uh with a 151 OPS plus um after he oh, um played in 104 games and had a slash line of uh, 285 361 564 it's a 925 OPS and like I said a 151 OPS plus he hit 22 home runs in 104 games that is uh, 326 at bats or 367 plate appearances pick your number um so he's already only eight home runs away from his uh, his single season high, which is amazing. He's at a rocking a one fifty seven OPS plus today. Let me backtrack. So one fifty one OPS plus, plus. and then he pitched, and he didn't pitch too much. He pitched um well, ten games, actually more than I thought it was, but only fifty one point two innings. Um, but he had a three point three one ERA. He racked up sixty three strikeouts. That ERA gives him a one twenty seven ERA plus a three five seven FIP, eleven sixty one WHIP. Like good good shit. And the idea was that he was really good in both phases. And so even though there were some people who um, would have preferred Miguel and Duhar because of the doubles, I guess um, he didn't walk very much um, because of the more pure hitting. I I suppose. Uh, Shawitani ended up beating him out because he did both phases of the game, which is so rare. And he did it at such Mm -hmm. a high degree that he took home that award. And now this season, he's doing both of those things even better than he did in his rookie campaign. And again, you have to ask yourself, even if he doesn't have, the most home runs in baseball, even if he doesn't have the greatest, uh, the a top 10 ERA in baseball, he doesn't have a top 10 OPS plus in baseball. It's called a top 20, top 20 in both ERA and like OPS plus or WRC plus again, pick your number. Mm-hmm. You're
1: still I making think that's MVP. solid case. Yeah. That's I think that's MVP. good. You can win MVP. If your OPS is, top 15, 10 to 15 range, you can win it if you have other, you know, fielding and and, you know, if things like that where it's not just hitting, hitting for power, getting on base, things like that. You can still win MVP. When you can do that and also every other aspect of the game that you can ask for in any player, let alone one player, what the hell? It's guarantee.
0: And he even has a lot of Great the field. traditional MVP attributes, which is that his he is helping to carry the team. You know, sometimes you see players not get as much MVP love because they have or play on a really good team. And there's this idea that, well, you have to put the whole team on your fucking back in order to win MVP. Shoai Otani is the only player, only pitcher on the Angels. And I, I didn't say starter. Only main reliever, you know, one of the, the one of the top five guys in the bullpen, and top five starters to have an under three ERA. Not to mention his ERA is under two. Sorry, uh, under sorry under four ERA. Not to mention the fact that his ERA is under three. No one else of the top ten people who pitch for the Angels has a sub four ERA. And Shohei Otani has a sub-3 ERA. The next closest person, and again, I also know ERA is not the end-all, be-all of pitching stats, but it is conversational and convenient. The next closest pitcher is Mike Mayers, a reliever, who has a 4.5 ERA. The next closest starter is Griffin Canning with his 4.78 ERA. Shit is wow. disgusting.
1: Oh, my God. Yes,
0: it is very, very bad. And Shohei Otani doesn't have the best OPS plus on the team, doesn't have the second best OPS plus on the team, thanks to a breakout season from Jared Walsh. But he does have the third best OPS plus on the team. And that's pretty fucking impressive from the guy that also has the best fucking ERA on your fucking team.
1: And the fact that he plays on the team as the single best player in 100 years.
0: Whatever oh, and part. he um, hasn't missed a game yet this season. Oh, of course. Which, like, fucking <laughs> how?
1: Mike Trout, can you do that? Nope. I'm so sorry, Mike. Please come back healthy. Baby, come
0: back! Yeah, it's um... Oh, God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see. Hmm. I am... I'm, sad. I'm just so happy he's doing it and... I can't wait for the day the Angels are a relevant organization so that he can do something cool in the playoffs cuz you know it would be even cooler than every single thing Shohei Ohtani is doing right now him doing it in a playoff game. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a world in, in which world. Shohei Ohtani pitches game 7 of the ALDS and also hits two home runs? Mm. Wow. Could you imagine ALCS, wow. it's it's Angels, Astros, or whatever. Shoah Otani pitches like seven innings and knocks two home runs.
1: And then has to play right field because you're not pulling that guy out of the game when he's done pitching.
0: Which is also just a crazy thing that actually happened.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just amazing.
1: I love him so much.
0: It's it's been it's been a treat. It's been a real treat of a season. He is so fucking lovable. I love the constant and steady stream of super enjoyable Japanese ballplayers coming over and never stopping. Because it is it was a seamless transition from. And granted, uh, Ichiro was slower at the end of his career, but going from the Hey, he's one of the coolest dudes on the fucking planet. Ichiro Suzuki to going, holy shit, he's one of the most talented dudes on the fucking planet. Shohei Ohtani, and having that consistent Japanese face of baseball, kind of or presence in baseball as one of the faces of baseball is um yeah. a genuine joy of baseball.
1: Hey man, Hideki Matsui was always my favorite Yankee. Masahiro Tanaka was beloved by the Yankees fans. There's so many great. Great Japanese players.
0: I know. Go Japan. Go Japan. Go ahead, Shane Tigers. So the only other thing that I have for us today, and we've been going for a little bit, enough, enough. um, ESPN has announced a um, Last Dance style. That's the 10-part documentary series about Michael Jordan. Um, a, so a Last Dance style documentary series about Derek Jeter. It will be a six part documentary series uh, produced by Spike Lee and directed by former guest of the podcast, Randy Wilkins.
1: Wow, that's pretty fucking cool. That's right. The first thing you said that made me care. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, the last dance was cool because MJ, we all knew he was an asshole, and we just kind of wanted to see, oh, let's see how much of an asshole MJ actually was. It's like, oh, Derek Cheater, those are really nice gift baskets. Way to go, dude.
0: It's been nice seeing the gift baskets be mentioned. I do, uh, so first off, I wanted to say shout out to Randy for doing this shit. He do, totally fucking deserves it. And it's also really, really cool that a story about a man – who spent his entire career in the Bronx, is being told by a man who is from the Bronx. I think there's going to be a nice cultural tie-in to that. Um, Plus, the fact that Randy is a huge Yankees fan and grew up in the Derek Jeter era of the game um, also is going to, I think, lend itself very well to what parts of the story get focused on and what details um, and questions ultimately get asked and answered within the documentary series. But I also think that there's a lot more... I think a lot of the allure of the MJ series was this guy's a fucking dick and also the greatest basketball player of all time. (laughs) And that is largely, I think, what people tuned in for. And that is largely what you got. And it was Mm -hmm. exactly what we needed. Exactly. I think the Derek Jeter one has a lot of room to be very different. And what I think is a very interesting way, which is what I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what Randy does with it, because this that era that Jeter came up in, first off, five World Series titles, a fuck ton of wins, over 3,000 hits. There's a lot of personal achievements for Jeter. But those 90s to early 2000s seasons for baseball were some of the most pivotal and well-regarded years in baseball history, at least in recent baseball memory. And to see the cultural impact of ball and how it changed over Jeter's career as a guy who retired in 2014, just as we were getting into a little bit more of the phase of the game that we're in today and how the culture around everything changed and how the culture changed from a guy who spent, again, his career in the Bronx, I think it was a really interesting story. And I think there's going to be a lot there around the culture of the Yankees, the culture of the city, the culture of MLB that comes out that didn't get touched on as much in the Michael Jordan one, just because Michael Jordan has so much personal shit to get into. Because again, he's such an asshole that I think there'll be more room to paint a big picture of what was happening at that point in time, in addition to all of Jeter's accolades and how Mm. Jeter fits into those different timelines.
1: I'm still going to watch every second of it. And I do think there's a lot of room to kind of dive into the team and the superstars that were amongst that team and just the Yankees as a whole rather than just Derek Jeter. Um, but I do think they're gonna—they're gonna hopefully throw a lot of insights our way and just show us kind of some behind-the-scenes stuff, like we saw with the last dance, that really give you a a peek into who Derek Jeter was as a person. Which I'm not saying he's some mysterious character, but I'm gonna watch every second of it.
0: Yeah, um, I can't wait for the episode devoted entirely to his girlfriends,
1: <laughs> which there will be.
0: be. Yeah. I mean, dude, that, that, that is a 10 part series on its own, <laughs> but Which regardless. Less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be really cool shit. So just again, wanted to shout out Randy. Um, so cool. So cool to see him get this opportunity um, and to keep working with his mentor Spike. Let's go. Nick's Randy. If you hear that, you will be mad. And I am here to tell you, I don't care. <laughs> Um well, all right. Uh Corwin, you got anything else before we wrap it up?
1: No, I'm gonna be asleep by the time you finish the outro.
0: All right. Well, we'll find out if that's true. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, there you go. Uh you can do so at JuicingPod. we do not post there very frequently. So if you wanna follow Corwin on Twitter, Sidecar Corwin, you can do so at uh Corwin Heller. And if you wanna follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D Tracy. Um, if you want to send us any emails, thoughts, questions, bullshit, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a